When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers have had one of their most active and productive free agency periods in team history, and yet questions remain on their roster. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. When we look at the questions we had following Ben Roethlisberger's retirement and the state of the Pittsburgh Steelers, questions you didn't have are probably the easier list to make than the questions people had about this team, especially on offense. The one answer we've really gotten, right? The one answer that we truly have so far is how invested the Steelers are in Matt Canada and his offense. All of the moves they've made so far this offseason, the players they've picked up, are ones that fit Matt Canada's offense. So we know the Steelers are invested in Matt Canada's offense, but what does a fully Matt Canada offense even look like? We know there's going to be motion. We know there's going to be wingbacks and H-backs. We know there's going to be a lot of running the ball. We know those runs are going to be outside zone, inside power, inside zone, split zone concepts. We, we know there's going to be a lot of zone running. There's going to be a lot of movement by the offensive line, One of, which is the main reason we know they're invested in Matt Canada's offense is because the Steelers have prioritized mobility on the offensive line. Another one answered is the Steelers' level of comfort with their previous offensive line. And we've seen that in a few ways. One is Zach Banner was cut. They're not going to see him. Kevin Colbert stated that they wanted to see more from him, but they clearly decided not to. After a few moves were made, they, that was a sacrifice they made, was not seeing more from Zach Banner. Kendrick Green is still around. They're going to give him a chance to play center. They're going to give him a chance to play guard. Uh, in my opinion, I've been saying I think the best role for him is that kind of B.J. Finney you know, in 2018, 2019 kind of role where he's just the backup for the entire interior line and let him develop. Give him a, give him a redshirt year that he should have already had. People forget he was a third-round pick, not a first-round pick. Just because the Steelers plugged him in to be a starter uh, doesn't mean he was ready for it. That's on the Steelers, not on Kendrick Green. We'll see how that works out. 
We also saw them comfortable enough to keep Chukwuma Korofor at a pretty good contract. People may not remember, know this or, or think about this, but the Steelers' prized guard, James Daniel, he was cheaper than Chukwuma Korofor. Both three-year deals, Daniels was cheaper than Okorafor's. We haven't seen them pursue another tackle, which means likely Dan Moore's job is safe. We have four of the five offensive linemen selected. The question mark is who is our center? There's going to be competition there, but Kendrick Green is in that competition. James Daniels has played center. There's there's a lot of competition. There's still question marks there. Another question. Who is the quarterback? This is a question that's going to get answered not in the draft, but even right now, going into the season, if the Steelers don't draft a quarterback, there's a competition. Who is the Steelers quarterback in 2022? I, I think it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky. But that's still to be decided. Steelers don't have a backup running back. There's question marks there. What do the Steelers want in a backup running back? What's Najee Harris's usage going to be? What's their plan going forward? I've made a big deal about Pat Meyer, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator. Everywhere he's been. Everywhere he's been. They have split carries. He has seen multiple running backs go to the Pro Bowl while reducing their load significantly. Pat Meyer correlates with that pretty strongly. I was excited to see that coming into this season, him coming to the Steelers. But are the Steelers set to go with Benny Snell? Like, is that your backup? I mean, I'd love to have an offensive line where Betty that's good enough that Betty Snell is a valid running back in the NFL. I'd love to have that offensive line. Do the Steelers have it? I don't. I don't think they have it right now. You had a top-notch center. Then we're talking. But my biggest question, my biggest question for the upcoming season is not about Matt Canada's run game, or the personnel involved, or even the quarterback. My question is, what does a fully Matt Canada passing game look like? Because last year, there were clear concepts that were Matt Canada. And then there were a lot of plays that were clearly the old Ben Roethlisberger 2018 offense. The offense that in 2020 and 2021 devolved into very short passes and really only worked when the opposing team backed off a bit, played cover two. It was the only time it really worked. What does a Matt Canada passing game look like? Now, we know there's going to be play action. We know there's going to be RPOs. We've seen those. We know there's going to be motion. We know there's going to be uh, like the passes to Zach Gentry. I loved those passes where Zach Gentry is a blocker sometimes, and then every once in a while he's like, oh, I I missed that block. And the pass rusher goes right past him, and then he just turns and catches the ball and gains 18 to 20 yards. Because no one's blocking Zach, no one's defending Zach Gentry. 
There's plays like that. But it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like when we take out Ben Roethlisberger's offense. Or is that going to stay? Is that part of Matt Canada's playbook? We'll see. There's only, there's only so much creativity one can bring to the passing game. It's usually small levels of creativity in how you release on a route or slight modifications to a normal route combination that works. That's, that's really what we're talking about with most passing games. But there are some places you can do interesting things with your quarterback movement, motion, players out of the backfield, stuff like that, especially in play action. You can do a lot of interesting things. And I'm I'm interested to see that. With that passing game comes a question that interests me a lot. And on the surface, it's answered for most people. And that question is, who's the Steelers' number one receiver? Now, you're going to say, you know, it's Deontay Johnson. He just went to the Pro Bowl, led the team in receptions and yards. And, you know, it's Deontay Johnson. That's an easy question to answer. That's not hard at all. But there's a problem with that. In my opinion, a glaring problem with that. First thing, Deontay Johnson was Ben Roethlisberger's number one receiver. And by number one receiver, I mean targets. 169 targets. Number two in the entire NFL. Number one, deservedly so, was Cooper Cup. But number two on that list is Deontay Johnson. With that, with that number of targets, with that kind of volume, Deontay Johnson ended up 10th in the NFL in receiving yards. Which is not bad. Second in targets, 10th in yards. That's not bad. Most of the people in front of him had better quarterbacks, right? But when we look beyond that, we looked into the when we look into the advanced stats, it's not very good. We can start with his yards per reception. It's 10.9 yards. That's one of the lower marks among, you know, higher production wide receivers. His 63.3% catch rate, also one of the lower marks against higher level receivers. And here's the thing, both of those are low. Normally, when you see a productive receiver, you will see the guys who have a really high catch rate and a lower yards per reception. Let's take a, a Hunter Renfro with the Las Vegas Raiders, who has a 10.1 yards per reception average, but catches 80% of his passes, right? He's not catching long passes downfield. He's just catching everything in sight short. Or you have a guy like a Jamar Chase, who posted a 63.3% catch rate, but at 18 yards per reception, one of the highest marks there. That's a deep threat. He's You're, you're throwing lower percentage passes to Jamar Chase, right? The margin of error is smaller. You're more likely to have inaccurate passes the farther downfield you are. Jamar Chase catches a lower percentage, but for a higher yards per reception. Deontay Johnson, 
10.9 yards per reception, 63.3% catch rate. That's the same as Jamar Chase, but without the depth downfield. Deontay Johnson had an average depth of target of 8.5 yards, which is very similar to Cooper Cup, but his average depth of catches was lower, significantly lower. A guy like Cooper Cup, his average depth of target was 8.6 yards. His average depth of his catches was 7.6. This is this is true across the board. There are very few receivers who have this who have a very similar average depth of target and average depth of catches. Average depth of your actual receptions is usually lower, right? Because again, the farther downfield, the lower percentage the catches. But Deontay Johnson dropped from 8.5 average depth of targets to a 5.9 average depth of catches. That's a big difference. And when you account for that difference as a percentage of their depth of target, trying to try stay with me here, I'm going to dive into stats for a minute. Deontay Johnson saw a 30.6% drop. The only Steeler receiver to have a higher rate than that, drop off between their average target distance and their average catch distance, is Ray Ray McLeod, who is not a Pro Bowler as a receiver. Chase Claypool saw a 14% drop. Pat Firemuth saw a 20% drop. James Washington, who lost his job, saw a 26% drop. Deontay Johnson was higher than all of them. If you look at some other productive receivers on teams with, with lesser quarterbacks, right, you find a lot of them in the 20 to 25% drop range because their quarterbacks just aren't very good throwing down the field. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't either. But that doesn't explain why Deontay Johnson was worse than Chase Claypool and Pat Fryermuth and even James Washington. You have quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, Tua, Taglovia. I can never say his name. Sorry for the mispronunciation there. Jalen Waddell, you know, similar skill set to Deontay Johnson, saw a 22% drop. DJ Moore with the carousel of quarterbacks they had, 25%. Amon Ross St. Brown, 23%. And Detroit with Jared Goff as his quarterback. Right? This isn't just a Ben Roethlisberger issue. This is a Deontay Johnson issue. Some other things that creep into this, uh, yards after catch. Deontay Johnson was a top 10 receiver in yards after the catch. But when you take that per reception, he ranks 74th in the NFL. 4.9 yards after the catch. Average. Chase Claypool, who Steeler fans complain about falling down every time he catches the ball, had a 4.8 yards after catch per reception. Deontay Johnson was a tenth of the yard, tenth of a yard, better at yards after the catch per reception than Chase Claypool. He's not a great yards after the catch guy. He is not a good deep receiver. And he plays the X position, where Antonio Brown did. He doesn't play in the slot. He actually had the lowest slot alignment rate of any player on the Steelers that is a receiver. Lower than Pat Fryermuth. Lower than Chase Claypool. 5.7% of the time he was in a slot alignment. He was vastly outside 
94.3% of the time, he was lined up on the outside in the X receiver position. For instance, let me, let me give this number out to you. You may, you may be surprised to hear this. Deontay Johnson lined up in the slot a total of 53 times. Najee Harris, a running back, lined up in the slot 42 times. Deontay Johnson lined up in the slot 11 times more than the Steelers' running back. He's not a slot receiver. He plays the X position, and he's limited there. I'm very interested to see if the Steelers keep him there in Matt Canada's offense. Deontay Johnson clearly fit the Antonio Brown kind of mold of an X receiver. And I think perhaps they kept him there because Ben Roethlisberger was comfortable with that. Ben Roethlisberger knew how to throw the ball to him. Problem was he didn't catch at the same rate of Antonio Brown. And he wasn't good deep. Antonio Brown was a great deep ball catcher. Caught everything downfield. Deontay Johnson, not so much. We're going to have to see that next year. And that leads to another question, because the only other receiver we really have is Chase Claypool. I've long said Chase Claypool is much better in the X. If you look at the games where he really goes off, Philadelphia in 2020, where he had that incredible game, Deontay Johnson was out. Chase Claypool slid over to the X receiver position, caught everything downfield. Ben was going deep to him all game. And he lit the team, he lit the game up. Is Chase Claypool an answer out there? And if so, where does Deontay Johnson go? I I don't have an answer for this. The Steelers could draft a receiver. We can see where that goes. Who, who is going to be the number one receiver on this offense? The default option is Deontay Johnson because he was the number one guy last year. But it's worth asking, <laughs> is that the best course of action? And one of the things we're going to have to watch in camp and in preseason and in this coming season is, was Deontay Johnson limited because of the offense and because of Ben Roethlisberger and because of the role they asked him to play? Does that explain this? Or is he a guy who cannot be relied on downfield at those mid to deep routes? Because if that's the case, if he's really just a short route only guy, he can't be your X receiver. And he can't be your number one receiver. No offense relying on five, six yard passes is going to survive in the NFL. You can't live on that. Especially not without a quarterback who can who can read defenses and get the ball out very quickly at an elite level. Those are my questions remaining on offense. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at the defense and look at the questions left and the questions answered on the Steelers' defense. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. We've got a bunch of off-season shows still going. One of my favorites continues to be what Yin's talking about. I love listening to that show. Uh, It's always a break from, a welcome break for me from the film watching and the analysis that, that I always I always have is my my approach to Steelers football has always been stats and film and, and digging into things and asking questions. And it's it's fun to see a show where they just kind of keep it light and poke fun at how serious we as fans get about football. Love that show. Make sure you're checking it out this whole offseason. Don't get caught up too much in the seriousness and the analysis, the doom and gloom and the hope and all of that. Just remember to have fun. And that, that show helps me remember that uh, when, I, when I tend to dig way too much into every single thing in the offseason. In the first half of the show, we talked about the offense. We talked about questions that remain in the offense. The second half of the show here, we're going to talk about the defense. One of the big problems with the 21-21 Steelers, one of their big weaknesses was the defensive line, and specifically the loss of Stefan Tuitt and Tyson Alualu. One of the questions the Steelers have answered this offseason is that they intend to bring them back. They're going to roll out the big three, Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, and Tyson Aluwalu, and give them a chance to be great again. But that leaves an unanswered question, and that is, who are Stephon Tuitt and Tyson Aluwalu in 2022? I expect Cam Hayward to still be great. You know, when when defensive linemen start approaching 30, you start saying, okay, they're going to drop off. Well, Cameron Hayward hasn't yet, and I'm not going to question him until he does. At this point, until he has a down year, then I'll be like, okay, you know what? Maybe he's declining. But until then, I'm just going to assume he's going to be one of the greatest defensive linemen in the NFL until he's 70. All right, he's, I, I'm just not going to question it. With Stefan Tuitt coming back, there's been a lot of change there. There's, there is an injury. Losing someone you care about changes people. It can change your outlook on life and give you a taste of mortality. That can change people. And we're going to see who Stefan it is. He is a person who's had to evolve this last, off, this last year with the death of a family member. And we'll see what change that makes in him on the football field and it may make a change he may come back and and play football with 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 passion or he may find that his passion has changed and it's no longer on the field and you just can't play football at a high level if your heart isn't in it we're gonna see that and that's not to downplay the injury I think I think we often focus on one or the other. Either he's injured or he's, you know, adapting to the loss of a close family member. But it's both. He's got both going on. Tyson Alualu is not young. 
he's not in the peak of his career. He's towards the end, and he had a season-ending injury. Who is he when he gets back? Is he the same player? How limited is he going to be? How much difference is that going to make? There comes a point when your body just doesn't heal 100% anymore. Has he hit that point? We'll see. If they're back and they're great, and we're back to 2019, 2020, 2020, uh, and, and early 2021 to Alu Alu, if we're back to those defensive lines, then watch out NFL. This defense is going to be great. If not, where does this defense even stand? Can they stop the run? Can they anchor? Can they keep the the linebackers clean? That's a big question. How seriously the Steelers choose to address that, we're going to see in the NFL draft. It's my opinion the Steelers need a top-tier defensive lineman in this draft. A young guy to get in there who doesn't have the pressure of having to start right away because of Alu-Alu and Tua. And if one of those aren't quite there... You know, and needs more time off or needs more rotation. He's there. I want a young guy who can learn from Cameron Hayward and develop and become the leader of this defense like Cameron Hayward has been. I'd, I'd love to see that. That's my that's my dream scenario. But if this defensive line struggles, that puts more focus on the linebacker position. In a linebacker position, we have one question answered and that the Steelers are committed to upgrading the linebackers. They've changed a number of people. They signed Miles Jack. That's that's a big signing. Miles Jack is kind of lost some of his luster as that defense in Jacksonville fell apart. We'll see if he can get back. I mean, if if the defensive line can keep him clean like that defensive line used to keep him clean, he's probably going to be great again. They also brought in Jannard Avery, who has an interesting side to him. He He's a kind of a versatile player. There's questions whether he is an edge rusher or a buck linebacker. The Steelers can use him as, e- as either, really. Um, but he, he brings up one of the more interesting tie-ins, and that is to Brian Flores. Brian Flores uses... Inside linebackers as rushers. He he uses outside guys inside. He mixes it up and moves people around. He's going to put you in different spots. He likes to see, he likes to put pressure on the offensive linemen where you're going to see, you know, if you're if you're a center and you're facing the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're going to see Cameron Hayward. You're going to see Tyson Alualu. You're going to see TJ Watt. You're going to see a Gennard Avery. You're going to see Miles Jack lined up across from you, and you're going to have to block all of them. And those all bring very, very different rushes and very different you know, ways you're going to have to react to what they're doing. Right? You're not going to defend Tyson Alu and Miles Jack the same way. One of them is lightning quick, uh, and the other one is, is you know, a bull in a china shop. And as you're sitting there thinking through all of that, he's going to hit you with a lot of stunts. He's going to be hitting you from both sides. He's going to be hitting you with speed. He's going to be you know, cleaning out your the ear holes of your helmet for you. Making life difficult for the offensive line. Gennard Avery fits that to a T. Bringing up 
bringing up Brian Flores brings up one of my big, big questions that the Steelers have done literally nothing to answer and only exasperated more with the signings they've been making this offseason. So far, the Steelers have signed, signed three strong safety slash linebacker hybrid players. Marcus Allen. They re-signed Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen has played linebacker for us when other people get hurt, especially in dime. Normally just covering linebackers and dropping into short zone. He was a safety in college. He's playing a kind of safety linebacker hybrid role in the NFL. Miles Killebrew signed him to a new contract. He's mostly a special teamer, but he's also a safety slash linebacker type player. He played a decent chunk for Terrell Austin in Detroit as a safety, especially in the box. And he's playing that here. And they brought him back. They also just went and signed Carl Joseph who is a box safety, who can play kind of linebacker roles. These are box defenders who are more mobile and more, you know, more secondary friendly than a linebacker usually is. But they're this strange, strong safety linebacker hybrid position. And we've signed three of them in the past. In the past, Brian Flores has used those players as blitzers, and Terrell Austin has used them as zone coverage, zone line, zone and man coverage linebackers. Right? You can put them in, put them on a on a more of a third down back kind of player, and they can stay with them better than a linebacker usually can. And they also understand zone well. Brian Flores uses them on the line of scrimmage as a blitzer. A lot. Terrell Austin uses them in short coverage. That fits. You could you could get people with both skill sets and use them, but it it brings you to question: What are the Steelers doing with the strong safety role? Are they going to even prioritize signing a good NFL strong safety in that place, or is a player like Terrell Edmonds no longer a priority for the Steelers? A Tyron Matthew, a a Terrell Edmonds, a a quality NFL caliber strong safety. Is this a defense that is going to go away from having that position be important? When I say having that position be important, I don't mean highly paid. I mean in the different roles they take on. Terrell Edmonds, when the Steelers were having trouble stopping the run, Terrell Edmonds came down in the box and read run first. While he was doing that, he was often responsible for coverage on a tight end, a running back, and sometimes the slot receiver. Against the Detroit Lions, their final solution to finally stop the Lions from just running all over the field on them was to have T.J. Watt almost entirely focus on run defense and bring Terrell Edmonds down in the box and have him read run first while covering the slot receiver. Like he had to read the run and then he would have to go catch up to the slot receiver, whatever the slot receiver was doing, and cover him. It's 
crazy difficult assignment. It's a position where you could line up in the slot and be a blitzer. You could line up in the slot and cover a receiver. You could be tasked with outside coverage. He's covered DK Metcalf. He's covered Tyler Lockett. He's covered everybody. You play deep zone. You play shallow zone. You play in 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 before when we had Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton had a green light to just blitz if he saw certain situations. And Terrell Edmonds' job was to be the strong safety, but also if Mike Hilton blitzed, you're switching into man coverage on that receiver. And there were plays where it was clear Terrell Edmonds had no clue, just like the defense, the offense didn't, that Mike Hilton was going to blitz. And he's given he's given direction to someone else, being, "Hey, hey, you got to you know watch that thing over there." And then he turns and sees Mike Hilton is blitzing, and he's got to pick up that that slot receiver real quick. Is that no longer going to be a job? Are we changing how this defense works? What kind of impact is Brian Flores going to have in the secondary and in coverage? I don't know. Right now, the Steelers are giving no answers to that. No clues, nothing. We have Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety, and we don't have a strong safety. The only thing we know is the strong safety isn't currently on the roster. Are they going to go for more of a zone cover guy? And when they want a box safety, take that guy out and rotate in someone else. Brian Flores did that in Miami. He took a cornerback from New England with him, Eric Rowe, and made that guy his free safety. Moved him to strong safety, moved him all over, and he had three safeties that played every single game. The Steelers are used to Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick playing almost 100% of snaps almost every game. Brian Flores rotated three safeties, and you got very different defense depending on who was in there. He had a safety with five sacks. Last year, he had a safety with two and a half sacks and he had a safety with zero sacks. Right? He he used them all differently. And you got a very different de- defense based on which two safeties were on the field at any given time. Are the Steelers looking to go more that direction? We don't know. It's an interesting thought to me. It's an interesting thing to look at. It's an unanswered question. Now, we may not get answers to these until the preseason. Some of these we may not get answers to until the regular season. Some of them, I hope, we get answers to in the draft. That's my show for today. Thanks for hanging out with me. Make sure you click over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and listen to the other Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. As always, have a great week, and let's go Steelers. (laughs) 